Amen. Anybody glad to be here today? Would you give God a hand of praise? Amen. Amen. So thankful to be back here today. And I just want to say thank you for what you do here at Holland Chapel. Those of you who serve every week, you do what you do so we can do what we get to do. And I, I can't believe that I get to preach and stand before you and present God's word. Really excited about today's message. Everybody have a good weekend. Everybody good. I, we had a great weekend. My, my pops came into town. My mom and dad came in from Oklahoma. My brother from Pennsylvania. He's in town. He and his wife are interviewing for a, a job, a pastoral worship pastor job in Texarkana. So mom's really stoked about that to have all the Arkansas, all the boys back in Arkansas. He might live in Texas, Arkansas. We're pulling him towards the Arkansas side. And my brother Jonathan pastors a church in Mountain View, Flatwoods and Mountain View. So we were all here. We had a great time. The weather was amazing this weekend, part of the time. And we got out in the backyard. Renee needed her porch swing fixed in, in this frame. Um, so we're like, yeah, Ralph Johnson steps up to the plate. We're all sons of Ralph Johnson. We can do anything. We fixed this, this form, right? We, we hang the swing and we put it up on the deck. Everybody leaves and Renee sits down in the swing and it collapses. So... That's kind of how my weekend went. We fixed it, but Johnny told me to give you his number that he would fix anything so your swing won't uh, collapse any longer. But I am hope that you're excited to be here, and I hope that you're excited about what Jesus is going to do in our hearts today. Check out these couple of pictures I want to show you on the screen. I was at a conference this weekend in downtown Little Rock where 3,000 students were there just really just worshiping Jesus. And what I experienced there was the joy of the students in their hearts for Jesus and I'm um, really excited, and as I was thinking about what I was going to preach today, I was like, that's what we got to do at Hall of Chapel. Can I get an amen, right? Um, I love this church, and I love what God is doing, and I love what being here with you. And so today, we're going to do what we did this weekend and just worship God. Um, go ahead and put your seatbelt on. It's going to be a little different than last week's sermon, but I think it's really going to be good once we get to the end. Um, if, you'll open, if we'll open up our hearts and our minds to what God has to say, it'll change us. Uh, turn to your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 3. Is where we're going to kind of camp out today. If you'll stand back to your feet, I'm sorry, one more time, I promise, in honor of God and his word. Let's read this together. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. I want you to say the very first phrase with me. Whatever. Okay, turn, turn to your neighbor and say whatever. All right, don't do that. If you're a kid, you might get slapped, right? We're in Arkansas. That, that's possible. Whatever, and that's not how Paul said it, but he said, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I want you to say that phrase with me. Rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray. God, you are faithful, and today we look to you for our joy. We look to you, God, because our external circumstances may not be exactly what we wanted or what we hoped for or what we signed up for, God, through the power of Jesus Christ and the gospel today, God. We rejoice because you're still on your throne. We, we are so thankful to be together as a body that we can celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. Use these words, God, to change us. May we leave here differently than the way we came in. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, please have a seat. Paul jumps into this third chapter in verse 1, and he says, whatever happens. And I, we've said this. Pastor Kyle's mentioned it. I want to mention it again. I want you to remember where Paul, where he's at when he's writing this letter back to the church at Philippi. He's in prison, and he doesn't know what's going to happen like he's thinking in his mind, my life, we talked about this last week, my life may be poured out like a drink offering. I may not make it out of this prison. And he says this in verse 3, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, and I love it. He says, rejoice 
in the Lord. And I want to ask you today, can we confidently echo the words of Paul? Whatever happens, I will rejoice. Paul gives these instructions to this church at Philippi. And he says, if I live, I will rejoice. Or if I die, I, I will rejoice. And I don't know about you guys, but when we were praying for Chase, that's where my mind went to. Like this guy is literally over there in another country thinking and praying and maybe even thinking this right now. Am I going to make it or am I not? He's in a third world country and he's thinking in his mind. Um, I, I don't know, Pastor Kyle, but I think he's going to say this. I, I, I think we all know Chase well enough. He will say exactly what Paul says. If I, lie, if I live, I will rejoice. If I die, I will rejoice. Can we say if my son or my daughter gets cancer, I will rejoice. And we might even take it back a little simpler and say it this way whether my son or my daughter wins or loses the game we will rejoice anybody been to a baseball or a softball game recently right back here anybody right and I don't know some of those parents aren't thinking that cussing and screaming and yelling and stomping and spitting because my kid lost amen because that's the biggest deal to them but really when we think about it will we will we rejoice even when things don't go the way we plan them if I get married if I'm single I will rejoice some of you are in school if I get a 4.0 a 3.0 or a 2.0 I will rejoice if I get the raise or I get laid off I will rejoice regardless of the outcome or what happens Paul says I want you and I want you to follow me. We will rejoice together. I want us as people of God, I want us to make this statement as a worship and a praise to him. And I want us to say this together. Whatever happens, God, I will rejoice. Let's try it one more time just as an offering to him. Whatever happens, God, I will rejoice. Quick question, just thinking about this. Has anything ever worked out exactly like you planned it? Right? Right where you sit today, is it working out just like you had it in your mind? No. But whatever happens, however it goes, whatever goes down, I'm going to rejoice. When we're planting our first church, I got into this rhythm of allowing my external circumstances to dictate how I felt and the joy that I had. We got a lot of people show up. I'm stoked. We had this thing called the Big Easter Egg Hunt. It was the biggest thing in the city of Washington. We had over 50,000 eggs that would come in. We would, we would rent out a football stadium. Thousands of people would come. But I would allow the circumstances, who showed up, who didn't serve, who didn't come. Somebody got something wrong. I would allow those circumstances to dictate how I felt. And then I wouldn't rejoice. I was caught in this performance trap. And I want you to think about the performance trap. I was allowing it to define my joy. I fought and continue to fight this battle of my joy being wrapped up in something I have no control over. Pastor Kyle, I asked you this earlier. Do you have any control on who shows up on Sunday mornings? He doesn't. But if we're not careful as pastors, when something doesn't go exactly like we have it planned, who doesn't show up, then we lose our joy. Paul says, whether I live in prison, I will have joy. If I die, I will have joy. If I'm beaten, I will have joy. If I'm shipwrecked, I will have joy. If a large crowd shows up or a small crowd shows up, as we're planting our second church, Renee, right? We will rejoice. I got to get it right the second time. He kept his eyes focused on one person and one person alone. And what is his name? So cool. That's the reason he could say what he said. As followers of Jesus, may we be found, may we find our joy in Jesus and not what we think that we have to accomplish or how things are going around us, what he thinks about us. May we find our joy in what he thinks about us rather than our external circumstances. Let me say it right now. I want everybody to hear this. Jesus loves you. Yes. 
And you need to know that. You need to know today that Jesus loves us. So based on that, look at the screen. This is the point that I want to give you if you have your program. Joy in Jesus rather than joy through my circumstances. I'm going to have joy in my, in my Jesus rather than joy in my circumstances. Let's stop allowing our circumstances to steal our joy, which we can only be found in Christ and the finished work. Okay, let me say it again because you need to let that settle down in your soul. We try to say it every week. The finished work of Jesus Christ, what he did for us and what he did on the cross. Sometimes in church, I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of talking about my spiritual pedigree and all the things that I've done in church. Look at what Paul says as he says this together. This is what it says in verse 3. He says this, we put no confidence in human effort. Say those two words with me. Human effort. He says this, but look at verse 4. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, right? Let me tell you what he's saying right there. If anybody had any right to say anything, I step on stage today at Holland Chapel, and I'm going to let you know I'm the best guy in here when it comes to religion. I've got it all together. I kept the law. I have it all together. Look what he says. I have even more. You think you're good? I'm better than you. That's what he's saying. But... Verse 5, he says, I'm going to throw it down. I'm going to show you exactly what I did. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Let me tell you where I came from. I'm a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I kept all the rules, and I made sure everybody kept it too, who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I kept the law. I was so zealous, this is how zealous I was, that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, finish this phrase with me, I obeyed the law without fault. Anybody ever met anybody like that? Man, I have. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. You met people, we meet people like that. I don't do anything wrong. I have it all together. Before we move on, I want you to think about something with me. When you think about the last time you introduced yourself to someone and how, what was the first thing you said after you shared your name and you talked about who you were, then as you began to talk about yourself, what did you say? If it was a business owner or maybe a prospective boss, you probably talked about where you've worked before. If you're talking to a runner or someone who owns a gym, you want to tell them how fast you run a mile or how many times I go to the gym. You're talking to someone at, at a college or at a school setting, you want to tell them what degrees you have, right? If it's other moms and dads at the park in the baseball field, I'm going to let you know how many sports my son plays and how many home runs Jeremiah's hit, right? Because we talk about the things that we've accomplished. Everybody said that I've accomplished, right? And we think about all those things. We think about all the things that make us who we are based on what we've accomplished. Like Paul, we allow what we do to, to define us rather than who we know. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Who do you know? What, go, what gets you further in life? I love this statement. What you do or who you know, right? If we know Jesus, we're going places. Right? Let's try that again. This half of this, this we, we didn't get it over here. If we know Jesus, we're going places, right? Think about it. Because of who you know, you're going to heaven when you die. So how is Chase okay dying from a snake bite? Because he knows because of who he knows. He knows Jesus, so therefore he's good to go. We have to change our mind as kingdom people. And I believe that Holland Chapel is full of kingdom people. Amen? I believe that. Our focus must be different than the kingdom of this world. We must have a kingdom shift 
And we must begin to think differently about people, seeing ourselves and other people, not through the lens of accomplishments, but rather seeing people in desperate need of the gospel. Just a quick poll. Do people need the gospel? Anybody know anybody that needs the gospel? I live in Mayberry. I'm going to tell you, just being there three months, Jeremiah Micah, there's some jacked up people in our neighborhood, right? It starts right there at 501 St. Charles Court. That's where I live, right? But there's some people in deep need of the gospel. We all need the gospel. When When people walk through the door of our church, one of the reasons, I said this in the first service, I'm going to say it again, that we love being in this church and part of this body and part of this, this family. When I stand right out front there and I watch people come in, everyone is welcome in this place. I want to be part of a church like that. People that are messed up, people that have lots of money, people who don't have any money. I love it. People who have tattoos and people who don't. People who wear suits and people who don't. Everyone is welcome here. All people are welcome in this place. Can I get an amen? I love that about Holland Chapel. And that's why our family wants to be part of what's happening here. We want to be part of that. Look at verse 7. I love this. This is what Paul says. I once thought these things were valuable. Right now in your mind, I want you to begin formulating what's valuable to you. I can, I can figure a couple things out. I can look at your calendar and your checkbook and I can see what's valuable to you. What's valuable to you? Paul says, I once thought all those things I talked to you about earlier in those verses above, I I thought they were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse 8, yes, everything. Can everyone say everything? Everything. Does that kind of hit it on the head? Everything is everything. Yes, everything else, else is worthless When compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I love this next phrase. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as what? Anybody wondered what this is? If you guys were paying close attention, did anybody think somebody's going to jump out of that trash can? (laughs) Mike, I thought you might get in this and jump out in the middle of the service. No one's in there. Paul says, I count it all as garbage. I count it all worthless. I I count it all as garbage. Look at the last part of verse 8. So that I could gain, say it with me, Christ. I love it, right? Does everyone have a junk drawer? Anybody got a junk drawer? Okay. Go ahead and pull out your program. The next point is more Jesus, less junk. Okay. I thought we were going to get rid of the junk drawer. We moved from Pennsylvania, moved to Benton, and we got everything out of the junk drawer. It ain't happening. Right? So, like, my parents were coming over. Renee grabs everything off the table and throws it in the junk drawer. I'm like, but, but as I thought about this, this is, it's, it's kind of stuff probably, Renee, that we could leave here with Kyle and Terry before we move to Bentonville. Because we don't need it. Right? It's junk. And, and, and Paul says, I want more Jesus and less junk. This, this word here, this Greek word here, garbage, means rubbish. And I'm going to say it, or dung, right? Let me paint this word, this garbage, this Greek word that Paul uses. I'm going to give you a very vivid picture of what Paul is talking about. I don't know if you've ever mowed a lawn before, but if you mowed a lawn with someone who has a dog, you're walking through the lawn and you step in a pile of, we'll say it the good Christian way, of poo, P-O-O, right? Anybody ever done that? Am I the only one? Okay, cool. And you get it on your foot and you see it and it's stuck and it stinks and you can't get it off. Can I get an amen? We're not going to amen that, but yeah. I'm tracking with you, Pastor. I understand. Everybody has stepped in a pile of poo. 
And this is what he's talking about. Compared to knowing Christ, I count all those things as garbage when compared to knowing who he is. That's the exact word that Paul is using here. It stinks. It's sticky. And it doesn't want to come off your shoe. The only person who can clean you up is Jesus. Okay? We think somehow our religious activity is going to get us cleaned up. And I, 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 it just doesn't work like that. Paul is sharing his disdain about religion and religious activities. I'm just going to say for everybody here, I love that we just had Celebrate Recovery. I'm a recovering legalist. Okay? I spent most of my life in legalism. Trying to follow rules and regulations. Trying to keep it all right. It probably took me 10 years in, in Washington, PA, to finally come out of legalism. What I see and I see in myself is that legalism affects the way I parent my kids. Legalism affects the way that I love my wife. Legalism affects the way that I preach. One of my prayers as I was preparing for this message is, God, I don't want to stand on stage and act like I got it all together. So I'm going to say what I used to say to LifePoint. I'm jacked up. The guy standing on the stage today does not have it together. I'm messed up, and the only, the only hope that I have is Jesus. This is the gospel, and this is what I believe Paul is saying. One of the reasons I love Holland Chapel is from what I can see and experience, legalism does not rule and reign in this place. Can I get an amen? Don't you love the freedom that we have in Christ to be able to raise our hands? I don't have to wear a suit if I don't want to, Right? I, I'm, I, I can come in this place and find freedom and grace as a part of the DNA of this family. That's what I want to be part of. Listen to Tony Marita's description of legalism. It's going to come up on the screen. Legalism is self-atonement. Now think about that. It's self-atonement. It's a self-salvation project that only leads to pride or despair. You see, I was the legalistic kind of guy who would stand on stage acting like I had it all together. And I would look down my nose at people and say, you just aren't as good as me because you don't read your Bible as much as I do. You don't know as much scripture as I do. I'm better than you because I come to church more than you. You miss at least three times a week, so I have to be better than you. And that's what legalism is. We must resist the gospel of human achievement. Can I get an amen? It's not about what we bring to the table. It's not about this. This is my story. Going back to high school and college, I thought I had it all together. I was on my way to a good seminary, and I was like, I want to teach those, those guys a little something about who I am and what I know. And it's not true. There's a great temptation to find our worth and our value by what we bring to the table. Right? We think, God, I'm going to bring all my stuff to the table, all my religious activity to the table, all the things that I've accomplished to the table, and somehow you're going to love me more. We list out our degrees. We list out the years that we've been attending church, how many times that we've gone to Sunday school, how many books, Christian books that we've read, how many commandments that we keep, how many times we go to small group. But let me say this. There's not anything wrong with those activities as long as our motives are the right things, on the right things. Can I get an amen? If Jesus is the right motive, then those religious activities are okay. But if somehow we think that we're going to have religious activities, Paul says, throw it away. It's worth nothing if Christ isn't the main focus of all of that. You see, those things, those religious activities, they don't clean us up. Only Jesus does. Look at the next point if you have your program. Christ is greater than our human effort. Christ 
is greater than anything we bring to the table. Can we read verse 8 one more time? Yes, everything. Everything. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, as rubbish, so that I could gain Christ. Saul was a legalist. He was a religious legalist. He says, all my spiritual pedigree is worthless and should be thrown away when compared to me knowing Christ Jesus, allowing his holiness. Now listen to me, this is very important. Allowing his holiness and what he did on the cross to define me and to drive me. Why do you get out of bed on Monday morning? What drives you? Hoping that your pastors look at you and say, Woo, they've been good Christian people today. No, no, no. What does Jesus think about me? And I'm just going to tell you right now, Jesus loves you, period. Well, I'm going to go to church and Jesus is going to love me more. Nuh-uh. I go to church because I love Jesus. I sing on the worship team because I love Jesus. I go to, I go to HC group because I love Jesus. Not because Jesus is going to love me more. This is what I like to call the Saul syndrome. Anybody got the Saul? Saul, Saul syndrome jumps up in my face every now and then. And my wife goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You're being Saul right now. I got the Saul syndrome, right? Paul is, de- is dealing with the sickness called Phariseeism. They made a, a list of rules that everybody had to accomplish. Jesus followers, we have to shift our thinking because we are sons and daughters of God. He loves us. Because of who you are, God loves you, period. If you are his son or his daughter, you are loved by him. Here's the crazy thing. I know you find this surprising. My kids screw up almost every day. Amen? My kids get it right every day. And I love them all the same. Well, because they messed up, they're kicked out of the family. Absolutely not. And it's no different for us in the family of God. God loves us just the way we are because we are his children. Say it with me, God loves me. Say it one more time so you can get it down deep in your heart. God loves me. Period. He loves you with all his heart. I read this and I posted it on social media and I love it. Religion says, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up, I need to call my dad. Let me read that again because I don't think you got it. You should probably write this down. Religion says, I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. Right? The gospel says, I messed up, I need to call my dad. I want to show you a picture of my father who's here this weekend. The guy on the left, if we can get that picture, that's the, the guy with the best beard. That's me right on the left. My brother, far, far Left, I'm sorry, is my brother Jonathan with the amazing beard. My little brother Andrew's in the middle. And then my most amazing man of my life is my father. And I used to be that guy. Because you remember, I'm a recovering legalist. And I thought, if I have to go tell my dad what I've done, he's going to kill me. But Every time I would go and tell my dad, not to any of his surprise, but to my surprise, I thought he would be surprised when I told him I messed up again for the 50th time. Dad, you're not going to believe it. That's how I always said it. Dad, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe what I did. And he's probably in his mind thinking, son, I, I, I know you. I gave you my sin nature. I'm not surprised by you messing up again. Dad, I messed up again. And he would love me all the same. So now, you'll never believe what I do now. I messed up. Guess who I want to call? I want to call my dad. 
Because I know in my heart he's not going to kill me. But there's no different in that than our Heavenly Father who is in heaven. Sometimes we are afraid of God thinking he's going to strike us dead because of what we've done. If that's the case, should any of us be alive? But praise God, there is the grace and mercy of God that he has shown us and he loves us even though we've messed up. Can I share a story with you real quick before I'm finished? Right? The prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. Right? The prodigal son messed up royally. Right? Like he, he spent everything that his father had given him. And he looked up from eating with the pigs and he said, I need to go home to see my father. I don't know about you, but if I was the father, I would probably be like, where you been? What would you do with my money? Why would you waste everything that you had? But I believe the father was waiting on the back deck. Every day he would go out to see if his son come running down the, down the road. Finally, one day, there comes the prodigal son running to his father with his arms stretched wide saying, welcome home. Amen? Can you say it with me? Welcome home. I don't know where you've been or what you've done. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you smoked. I don't care where you've been. God says to you today, welcome home. Welcome home. You need to know that God loves you more than anything in the world and he doesn't care what you've done. The thoughts that you thought, the things that you've said, the way you've treated your family on the way to church. I've done that, right? You walk into church and say, woo, everything's good. And your wife's like, no, it's not, right? Husband, God still loves you. My kids are looking at me like, you think you got it all together. You don't know my dad, right? And God still loves me, right? Because even though I'm messed up and even though I have problems, God still loves me. Let's finish with the gospel, verse 9. That's how I want to end this today. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. In the beginning, Paul thought, I can gain the justification that I need in Christ through the law. No longer do I count my own righteousness through obeying the law. I have become righteous through faith in Christ. Did you hear that? Right? For God's waking... For God's way of making us right with himself depends not on your work, but on your faith. So maybe you're here today and you've never believed and received the gift of salvation. You walked in for the first time today hearing the gospel for the first time. I'm here to tell you today, whatever you've done, whatever you think, you're, you're probably thinking in your minds, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. God will never receive and accept me I'm going to tell you right now, yes, he will. He loves you more than anything in the world. You say, well, how do I know that God loves me more than anything in the world? He sent his only son to die on a cross for your sins. Jesus Christ died so that you could live. And all you have to do now is believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and received that free gift of salvation through Jesus. Jesus died for you so you don't have to die. And if you are here today, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will be saved. You will be adopted into the family of God, and you will become his son or his daughter forevermore. Can I get an amen? amen. So I, wanna, I want us to read this together. Verse 10, as a prayer to our Heavenly Father. Those of us who are believers, this is how I want us to end this today. As a prayer. Offer to him from our hearts. Verse 10, let's read it together as a prayer. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power 
that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing his death. Let's read it again. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death.